Hey homies, it's Michelle Bennett, graphic designer, turn marketer, turn interior decorator, and apparently now podcast host. That's right, peeps. I selfishly started a podcast so that I would have an excuse to pick the brains of designers, decorators, and industry experts so that I can get to the next level. And the best part is you guys are coming with me. I'm here today with Crispin Butterfield, Principal Designer at Urban Theory Design. She's been in business for 15 years and she has two employees. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Michelle. I'm, so I'm like so excited that you're doing this and I'm super, super pumped that you asked me to come on board for your first podcast. Yeah. So I guess to the listeners, this is legit my first interview. <laughs> so I'm a bit nervous. We both have some drinks. I've got a gin and soda with me today because I don't have any wine in the house right now. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit, Kristen, about your business, where you started, who you are? Tell us everything. Oh man, <laughs> we have like an hour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so I started off uh, not knowing at all what I wanted to do after graduated high school. I was I was dancing semi professionally um, in classical ballet. I was my whole life had been sort of geared towards training to be a ballerina. I was, um, I got accepted to the Royal Winnipeg Ballet Professional Division Summer School when I was 14. That was like, that was my thing. And then um, when I was there, I got injured. I had to sit out the entire summer intensive. I think it was five weeks. My mom was like, do you want to come home? I thought, no, I'm going to sit. I'm just going to hang out. I've made some friends. Um, but it was then that I had the opportunity to see that whole world from the outside looking in. I'd always been in it. And I just realized like, even for a 14-year-old kid, I was like, this is not what I want to do. This isn't, like, this is who this is what I've been doing, but this isn't who I am. Mm -hmm. And it kind of threw me my whole world upside down because my whole identity had been wrapped up into training, 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 establishing different levels, um, tech, you know, all the things that you need to do to prepare at such a young age to be a professional later. Um, yeah. So after high school, I was thinking, like, I don't have any, I don't even know what I like, let alone what I want to do. Yeah. Um, there was a weird uh, circumstance where our my neighbor across the street, her son-in-law was the vice president of Palliser Furniture in Winnipeg. And he, he just invited me to come because I'd sort of expressed a bit of an interest in furniture design. I don't know how that came about, but we were at a barbecue and whatever. So I went to work for him for a year in the R&D department at Palliser at the big plant in Winnipeg. And then after a year, I realized furniture isn't my thing, but the design world is. And at that point, HGTV was sort of blowing up. Mm -hmm. And I don't even want to mention the name of the show that's on because it's on right now. And uh, we all know what show's on. <laughs> um, it's not real life, but it kind of it kind of was the catalyst, you know, behind the excitement behind interior design. I thought, oh, okay, I really think I'm interested in this. And I applied to Matt Rowe, it was Matt Rowe College at that time in Calgary. I replied, I applied two weeks late, passed the deadline. They said, don't bother sending it in. We're not going to look at it. I'm like, well, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyways. And um, I got in. I got in on my first attempt, which was just sort of crazy because as you go through university, you meet other people in your elective courses. They're on their third attempt, their fourth attempt. They're taking electives just so that they're out of the way before they join. And they're all like, how, how many times did you apply? Once. <laughs> so, yeah, I, like I don't know. I think it was just one of those things, you know, like it's meant to be right. uh, what it's meant to be. So that's how I sort of got into design. And then after the four-year program, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do or where I'd go work. And so I moved all my stuff back to Manitoba. My, my family's from Manitoba. Just thinking I'd take a couple months to take a breather and then figure out what my options would be. And then literally 11 years later, 
work is so busy. We have so many jobs out there. It just, you know, the community completely welcomed me because it's a smaller community and there's only one other um, woman that has her bachelor of interior design. So just the two of us servicing about 60,000 people. Um, yeah, it was, it was like the sweetest setup. I was so spoiled. I mean, it was pretty incredible. And then the opportunity came up for us to move across country, my husband and I, and we thought, yes, like it's just the right timing. I had no um, plans to shut down my business there and then had to really figure out fast, how am I going to support everybody and the jobs we have there while I'm not there? So, yeah. so two months later, we picked up, we moved to, we now live in Kelowna and uh, I've started up another company here. So I have my design company here. It's just me at the time here, but we're sort of at that stage where we're ready to hire people here. And then I've got um, my firm back in Brandon, in Manitoba, and I've got one lady full-time. And then I've got someone on the side that comes in as needed and is support for us there. Um, yeah, so in a nutshell, that's kind of... That's kind of where we're at today. We're going to do a little something that I'm going to do on all my podcasts, which is just going to be my 20 questions rapid fire. It's obviously exactly... No pressure. No <laughs> pressure. So, so she does not know any of these questions. She has not been briefed on this. So this is basically answer whatever comes to mind as fast as you can. I'm ready. I'm not editing anything. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's super easy for the most part. Okay. Your okay. go-to paint color. My go-to theme color, oh, I love silver and cream and like pearly light off-whites. Okay. Uh, favorite trade vendor? Mm, lately, it's been Graber. Window coverings, actually, their rep is amazing here. Uh, sorry, what's the name? See, this Graber. is... Graber. What do you spell G-R-A-B-E-R. They're right. a division of um, Springs Window Fashions. The rep out here is phenomenal. The product's been very good. Um, they have, oh, and this is a little plug for them. They have an amazing um, policy set up where if there's an issue with the window covering or a blind, they don't make you send it back to the plant for a warranty repair. They will just ship you a new blind, which let me tell you is a lifesaver when you've got clients that don't want to take their window coverings out to send it back. Uh, so. That's amazing. And you know yeah. what, Graber, we're going to come for your sponsorship. Do later. it. <laughs> okay. So what do you struggle most in your business? Oh, there's just never enough time. You know, even when you've got multiple people, I find there's, you, you just need 40 hours in a day and there never is. So it's just managing time. I, I second that. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to get you to kind of think back a little bit here. Uh, I know you've been in business for 15 years, but if you yeah. could try and think back to those first couple years, and this is again, I've, in my intro, I talk about, this is a very selfish podcast for me. So I'm <laughs> in my first, my second year, sum up uh, your first two years or whatever was going on your first few years in one word or one very quick sentence? A circus. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Circus. I had no clue what I was doing. Like I just kind of thought, and there was no models, there was no mentors, you know, to really pick your, their brains or anything. So I'm like, well, I'll just sort of figure it out as I go. Um, no major anything, but just, you know, as a, I was 23. So you don't know anything. You think, you know, everything. you don't know anything. Yeah. It's a little baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, so first two years were just a lot of, um, a lot of learning and, um, a lot of kind of playing it safe and small because you're scared to make mm-hmm. big mistakes and you're still learning about what could happen. And so just sort of, um, experimentation by the circus. Yeah. It's so comforting to hear that. Let me tell oh, you. Yeah. Okay, uh, who is your design crush? Oh man. Um, oh, I know he's not everyone's cup of tea, but I love Jeff Lewis. 
from California. Okay. I just, I don't like his part. I don't like how he treats people sometimes, but I just, there's little bits of him that I'm like, yes, you know, we can, I wish I need to be a little more like Jeff Lewis some days with people, but um, I love him. And then comedian, um, I love Nam Dang Mitchell. I love her work here. She's just, my aesthetic, I think would be close with hers. So I gotta make sure to get some more information on that so I can link that out for people. Um, okay, who what, I already asked that one. Uh, favorite design book? Um, uh, <laughs> anything Kimberly Selden, hello. <laughs> ah, I like that. Um, yeah, I, I met her. Actually, I took a workshop with her in Winnipeg a couple of years back. We spent two and a half, three days together. And um, that completely changed the game for me. I thought I, you know, had things pretty much under control. And um, she just showed that no matter what stage you're at, you can always improve. You can always button down the hatches and um, improve your game. And I just, that was like completely invaluable to me. I just, I still think back on that. And like the moment in her seminar where I was like, aha, like just so many aha moments. So, um, so yeah. Do you business at that point? How many years? Oh, this was probably three, four, four and a half years ago. Oh my God. So really like pretty far in. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. No. She's a, those books are worth their weight in gold. And, um, you know, her business of design community has just been amazing. So I have to give props to Kimberly Selden. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. You, welcome. Um, I had way more of them, but I just didn't know how long it was. <laughs> Even this was my first one. So I feel like. I know. And time I, management, right? Time management. <laughs> time management. Okay. So we are going to get right to it then. So today's topic, as I already said, is breaking up with clients. How do we know when you should be breaking up with a client and when you should be trying to salvage the mm-hmm. relationship as mm-hmm. opposed to taking that extreme? That's, um, that's like the million dollar question, right? Because every client and every situation is so unique. Um, I don't think there's like a blanket formula that if they, you know, check, check, check this box, they're out, they're done. Um, it's all dependent upon your relationship, the project, the circumstances, right? But I feel that... For me, I will just tell you, I mean, please don't consider me the be all end all on this topic, but just in my experience, this is what I sort of look at. Um, I wouldn't say I've had to break up, fortunately, with many people in my design life, but um, there have been a couple where it's just pushed the envelope and gone too far um, in some areas. So for me, you know, this is just, it's a personal decision. It's personal for everybody, but here's sort of what I would say you want to consider is, I mean, nobody signs up with clients thinking it's going to end in a breakup. That's just not how we get into things or we anticipate how it's going to go. So when we sort of feel, you know, wow, things are going off the rails and there's red flags, chances are there's been many up to that point, but we've sort of ignored them or, you know, just sort of been in denial thinking we're going to ride it out. Things are going to get better. How could they get any worse? Right. And, but then they kind of do tend to get a little bit worse. Um, so for me, I'll just, um, can I give an example of a project where we recently, yes. in the last year, you know, I had to gracefully say goodbye and um, I'll just sort of tell you why and that hopefully everyone listening will sort of be able to take from it what they will. Um, but I was contacted by a commercial client, a husband and wife who were opening um, a boutique jewelry store here in town and um, he's he's a goldsmith. He does all the work. They're very, you know, very established. It's their, I don't know, fourth or fifth business across the provinces. So of course, for me being a new person in town in the last three years here in Kelowna, I'm excited. Yes, this is a project I'd want to work on. It's public. It's a boutique type retail outlet. Um, 
perfect. Just what I want. So, you know, you meet with them, you do all the intake, you kind of get a judge on personality and not to say that just because someone's personality on the onset seems like they're going to be a little challenging, but you should walk away from a project. You know, everyone needs to measure at their own, like whatever. But, um, you know, so there were a few things where I realized, okay, these clients will be um, a little bit more high maintenance and probably require a little bit more time, but I feel comfortable handling those personalities. So it wasn't a huge red flag at at the time. It was just noted, you know, that they weren't super easy and super easygoing. Um, so we get into, um, oh, and they had a very quick sort of in the industry, a quick turnaround time, but not, you know, impossible. So again, like nothing to really walk away from at that point. Um, so we get into the process and we're, you know, establishing got the plans done. Um, they kind of know what they want, but they need help picking everything out. So, you know, we put together, I put together a materials and finishes package, did all the fixtures, presented everything, um, pretty much liked everything. They just wanted to revise a few things. So that was great. We met down at uh, one of the um, flooring stores here just to sort of go over everything in person and um, super excited. Happy, happy, happy. Yay. 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 Such a relief. This is all picked out. Yay. They can move forward because they're running several businesses during the day as well. And this is one thing that they just don't want to have to deal with. But then I get a phone call from this flooring store the week later that the wife has gone back in and canceled the orders that they've put in and she's picked out some some new things I'm like okay but hasn't really told me about it so I had to connect with her and you know find out what's going on and you know it just came it comes down to people second guess just like we do with our own stuff people second guess things all the time and uh sometimes they just need a little bit more reassurance or or whatnot so okay well let's meet up um let's take a look at what you picked out let's make sure it goes with the other things that are not changing Um, let's do that so we have another meeting pick a few things out great back on track she's so happy everything's great I get another phone call. She's canceled that order. No. Yes. Totally. Yes. I'm like, how is this possible? Mm-hmm. Cancel that order. And at that point I'm thinking, okay, like the deadline is coming closer and closer to getting materials to be able to, because they have a grand opening schedule. Everything's yeah. done. It's been marketed. We can't miss the deadline, but these types of delays, like clients have no idea that you, you switch product, something that was available now is on back order. Like they just, people don't understand and they need, they, they, you know, unrealistically expect everybody else to jump through hoops to make that happen. Yeah. And they just don't get it. So, um, yeah. So after that, I was thinking, you know what, like they're just, there's a total disconnect in communication. I've, I've at that point already sort of had a conversation about, I'm, you know, I want to make my job is to make you guys happy. Um, but I can't do that if I don't know if you're not happy or if you're second guessing or like, don't worry about offending my feelings. You won't, this is not about me. This is all for you guys. So let me help me help you. Right. Like that's the, the good old saying, help me help you. Um, so they're all on board, totally understood. You know, we were in, go- in a great place. Um, so you're saying that you had like a little mini conversation there. Where you yes. That? Yeah. And it's all, aw- it's awkward because you just, no one wants to have these conversations, no. but I felt to try and rein back the control. Yeah. I needed to sit down and just be like, Hey, let's just have a quick, we need to regroup. Um, just to kind of recap where you guys are at, where I'm at, where deadlines are, like what, and then move forward. Like what's next. So that was sort of the big major was when she canceled flooring, all the flooring and the tile for the feature walls, everything. She's canceled it twice and we ordered for the third time. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, just kept sending me photos and inspiration images and, you know, from Pinterest. (laughs) Oh man. Hey, and just, yeah, like non-committing, non-committing. And like, you you just, you guys can't not commit at this stage. Like you're, you're so committed. You don't even know it, you know, but, but I think they were just, they just were having, I think there was other things as well. That's, I think too, as designers, we think it's all on us and like, oh no, 
you know, they're upset about this and they're stressed about this. We have to realize like life revolves around them outside of this design project. And we have no idea what other factors are playing a part in some of this craziness sometimes, right? So I think we're hard on ourselves and something to consider is, um, it took me a long time to, to get to this point, but I, there's very little that I take personally now because I'm able to sort of disconnect and look at it that, you know, no rational person or someone who's, you know, in this process and is communicating well, you know, behaves in certain ways. It's just, there's other things going on that isn't me at all. So I kind of considered all of that and thought, okay, you know, I'm, I'm into this project already this deep. It's so close to just like another two months, not even being finished open. I'm like, let's just ride this out. You know, I, there's a few items. I don't even know for material what they ordered. Um, but for the most part, I was comfortable in that, you know, the rest of the design plan was moving forward. So, I mean, I say that (laughs) and then there's still two months of things to go wrong and they did. Um, yeah. And it just, it it kept, it kept building, it kept building and they were, it it all boiled down to to communication. They were never available to speak by phone. They only wanted to communicate by email, which kind of like that changed things quite dramatically. Um, then they would take forever to reply by email and I'd always get the, you know, well, life's so busy and we're so stressful and this and this happened and I just can't handle this right now. Um, you know, it's, it's like gaslighting and it's just kind of excuses and you sort of respect people's ability to cope with what they're coping with. But it was affecting, like I had contractors calling me, what are they doing for this? I'm like, I, I don't even know. I have to connect with them. Um, and it just kept building up and building up. And I think the final straw for me, they went, uh, they were going on a conference for a weekend in another province. They're going to be away. And as of that Friday, I've been prepping them since Monday to, we have to pull the trigger and make a decision on, there's a, in this showroom, there's an upper level mezzanine where his office would be and storage would be, but it's open to all the displays and everything below. And we'd come up with this beautiful plan to do like resin, suspended resin, like three form panels, priced it out, needed to get it ordered to get the material to get it into fabrication. And I was propping them from Monday, like by Thursday, you guys be Friday, by Thursday, we have to have sign off on this. I have to have approval. We're moving forward. Da, 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 da. That came and went like that yeah no like no no communication nothing and then I get an email on the Friday um so they've already left at this point and I'm sitting here going I don't know what I don't know what's going to happen here I get an email and um now all of a sudden they want to save some money so she's wondering if we can just have some curtains made to throw up across this like this is probably a 40 foot span overlooking this gorgeous diamond you know they it's a jewelry store. Like it just, so when I got that, you know, there was other things as well, but when I got that, I just realized, you know, like this is not, this isn't happening. This isn't going to work. And not only that, if they move forward, because at the end of the day, clients always have, it's their project, you know, you can lead them, but they'll pull the trigger. They have the ultimate authority on that. Right. If, if they put curtains up there, like my name's now attached to this. So I just kind of had to sit back and go, whoa, you know, this project in the beginning looked amazing, has super potential. It's in like the swankiest little area of town here where all the little boutique shops are like super exposure. If you couldn't have wanted a better project, but I now don't have any control over how it's going to look at the end. And if they go ahead and do curtains up there and not, not things wrong curtains, but in this type of scenario, just no, thank you. It just, it just wasn't, it just wouldn't fly to save some money, you know? 
And I just, yeah, after all of this, I was like, you know, I could probably try a little harder to convince them to go back to our plan or see if there's something else. And I just thought, you know what? No, I don't know. I don't know what exactly happened, but I just kind of thought, no, this isn't worth it. There's at this point, there was only three weeks left until their grand opening. And they were putting the pressure on me. It's like, you know, letting me know how stressed they were and da, 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 but there were still things not ordered and communication just wasn't getting better. I just made the decision. You know what? Um, at this stage, there's nothing else of quality value or quality um, consulting that I can do to help you. And I have to walk away because it's just the stress mounting on me up to this point as well. Like I'm trying to be cool and calm, but in the back of my mind, you know, you're, you're always thinking, you know, uh, are they going to be happy? Are they is the public going to be happy? Are people going to criticize this? Are they, you know, it all falls back on you. And I just realized it's just not sometimes worth following through. And then everyone's disappointed or because you're, you suffer in the end anyways. And um, yeah, I mean, some people might've just, okay, curtains, do whatever. Sure. Let's like give in, give in, give in. And it's, and I, I don't mean give in in a way that, you know, it's an ego thing or it's just, it's just you giving into a client. Right. So basically you, you decide, okay, I need to kind of end this relationship. Can you describe kind of exactly how you did that? So, um, so they're way in Calgary and I respected their time, you know, for the weekend. I just, I sent a follow-up email and asked that we schedule a phone call, um, for once they return first thing Monday morning. Mm -hmm. And, um, they took a day to reply and they didn't want to speak by phone because I think they, you know, this is, it's chaotic. They just, they, clients are smart too. They pick up on things. They don't want, they don't want a confrontation or they don't want to be schooled or told what to do, or especially these people. So Mm -hmm. they weren't available to speak by phone. And to me, I'm willing to, um, reach out. I'm willing to do what it takes, but sometimes clients give you very clear messages. So in that moment, it was a very clear message to me that the line of communication was done. They, I feel like they, they were kind of done, um, but they didn't want to talk about it. Um, but you know, just go figure They don't want to talk about it. So, okay. In that moment, you know, I can, I can worry about it over the weekend even more, or I can just, you know, step up and say, basically what I said, I sent them an email and, um, I find that, you know, pointing out errors and pointing out and kind of talking down to people never works. It never gets you the satisfaction or the outcome that you want. It's just not worth it. And nor is it professional because, I mean, you don't need to point all that stuff out. It's, it, the writing's on the wall. Um, it is what it is. So I find for, um, for me, this case especially, it was just a matter of very um, empathetically. Empathy is like number one. Yeah. Empathizing that, you know, it's been a stressful couple months, um, that, you know, that they're, I recognize that they're, they're stressed out. They've got a lot of things on their plate. Um, they're frustrated. Um, you know, da, 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 da. You sort of acknowledge and empathize right off the bat. And then, um, I just, you know, said, uh, I, there were some milestones that and targets we set up in terms of making decisions for Friday of last week. And unfortunately that came and passed. And those weren't met. So at this point, there's, um, unfortunately, I can't, there's nothing else I could suggest to you of quality and of value to do for the retail store. Um, there's nothing else I can suggest at this point that's going to be of quality or value to you. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to end my time with you. And then what I did was attached a file that had pretty much all of the decisions and the orders and, 
and, you know, everything that we put together at this point and gave them some recommendations. Uh, if they wanted to continue with having the panels fabricated, here's my person at this business. Here's his number. You can connect with him. He'd be able to help you out. So I always try to provide a solution. Yeah. Even if I'm walking away. <laughs> so I'm not the, the person that's like, you know, eh. And you're done. This is ridiculous. Like I would never say that, even though it's true. Yeah. Um, I'm still trying to help and provide value in the end, but like, it's grace, it's graciousness and it's respect. Um, you know, and, and crossing your fingers that they're not irate about it or upset about it and that they don't go around saying bad things about you. And like, who knows what happens? I can't, you also can't let that dictate how you carry yourself and what your what's the best decision for you in the end. And ultimately for me in the end, it was to, the stress wasn't worth it. The um, kind of the babysitting and trying to manage two people that created 10 times the stress in my life. Um, it just wasn't worth it. And this project, I've driven by it several times. It looks beautiful. There's a lot of things in there that we picked up together. So thank goodness, you know, it wasn't a complete disaster. Um, I'm a little disappointed. I have to admit that I didn't stick it out just because it did turn out quite nice and it could have been used for my portfolio. However, the flip side, as a professional and just as a human being, I'm, I'm satisfied that I just recognized I'm being pushed too far and not being respected. And in that, I can't do my job and I can't help these people. So I just had to, it was time to walk away. And I'll tell you, I sent that email thinking like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, what did I just do? Yeah, like, Even after all this time, I still, you know, you could send and you're like, oh, I can't get that back. Totally. Um, but uh, I have never heard from them to this day. It's been a year, year and a half. Um, I have had not. I, I haven't heard one word from them at all. So whether they read it and who knows how they felt, or they were furious and they've just chosen, you know, thankfully to take the high road themselves and not say anything. I don't know, you know, if my name comes up in discussion ever, what would be said about me? But I just know that if I was to run into them in public, I haven't yet. Um, I think I left it on a pretty you know, pretty honest note. And, um, I feel comfortable with what I said. Yeah. And there was like integrity behind it all. And it wasn't to be like, you guys are awful clients and I'm done with you. That's not it at all. It's just for my own peace of mind, my own sanity. It was just time to move on for sure. And so when, can you think back or do you remember the first time that you ever had to do that? And first of all, um, I actually, earlier I was joking that you're a pro at this, whatever. Um, I actually think if you had gone 15 years and never broken up with a client, that would probably be alarming. Yeah. Sometimes I have to have those talks with myself where I'm like, okay, Michelle, like it's time to put your big girl panties on. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's not about, you know, that you don't want to stand up for yourself or just take control of your time because it's precious and, you know, make those decisions. It's just, it's the confrontation part of it because you can't, you know how you can handle yourself and how you can present something to a client. You just never know what their reaction or how they will receive mm-hmm. that information is going to be. And that's the scary part, at least for me. Sometimes I know I can be calm and collected and professional and like very little emotion because I think as soon as you let your emotion take over, mm-hmm. things get heated, arguments get heightened. You say things that you kind of regret after the fact, and you can't take those back once you say them. So I give myself enough time to kind of really think things over and then detach the emotion from it. And then I'm able to connect with people that way. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's, there's still moments where I'm just like, Oh my God, I don't want to do this. So when you do that to like the, maybe the first time you ever did yeah. 
Um, how did you, cause for me, when you were telling me via the private message, like that maybe yeah. I needed to consider, you know, parting ways, the thought of doing it gave me the feeling. And this is a lot of like, I talk about this a lot in my, in my Facebook group that I, I have a lot of mindset issues that I need to overcome. But, mm-hmm. um, for me it was do, how do I not allow myself to feel like I've let that client down? Like, mm-hmm. and um, was that ever something that you thought? Oh, of course. Of course, because I think I've sort of recognized over the years and just talking with different designers, we're like, we're all unique, but a lot of, we're so cut from the similar, like similar cloth when it comes to, to different, you know, pieces of our personalities. I find a lot of us, we're like, we're diehard people pleasers from a young age. We, something about the way we brought up, maybe it's the ballet, the figure skating for you and I, you could not let anyone down. You couldn't fail. You could, you had to be better, better, better. Like in that ingrains, when you talk about mindsets and beliefs from a very young age, you know, we're kind of willing to compromise our feelings and our values at the expense, you know, or sorry, for the sake of somebody else. And so in the beginning, you know, the thought of, oh my gosh, these people have brought me into their home and they've paid me money and I'm here to make their lives amazing. Um, I owe them. I owe them. So who am I to say, like, I can't, I, I can say no to things or I can say that's not acceptable or I can request and expect certain things at a professional level for my clients as well. That took years. That took mm-hmm. years to arrive to um, at that, that stage. And um, honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said mindsets and beliefs. That's, that's honestly what it boils down to and breaking through some of these fears that, you know, have nothing to do with our clients or what we're doing for a living. It's, it's so, it's so ingrained in us from childhood some of these beliefs that we have about dealing with people in authority or people that are older than us. And we need to respect our elders. At least for me, that was a huge hang up was you never speak out of turn to an adult or you never question an adult. And then as you become an adult and you do this and you realize I'm an adult too, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, we're, we're, you might be a little older than me, but um, we're adults now. We're not, not, it's not the child adult relationship. Um, and I think that was a hang up for me because I started so young. I was a child. I was 23. And, um, it was, it took a long time to kind of find my grounding. I took, um, a lot of business courses, um, or coaching, I'd say business coaching and just reading and sort of immersing myself in things to do with mindset and value. And once I found I, my identity again had been wrapped up so much in this dance thing. And, um, then it became the identity of a now I'm a designer and that's, this is me. And like, I had to literally you're almost enmeshed in that identity if you don't do a lot of self-work and self-care. So I would say over the last four, five years, it's been more about um, self-care and, you know, working on value and mm-hmm. knowing, you know, the intrinsic value, not just as a professional, but as a person. Um, when that becomes a bit more stable and a bit more strong, it shows up in your professional world in all aspects. So for me, now I'm able, I still get a little nervous clearly, but if there are situations or things that happen with clients, you know, and you're just like, it, it doesn't line up with my values as a, as a person and as a professional, I feel much more empowered to have a conversation about it. And, but just adult to adult, human to human, than you know, I did in the past, I, I let clients walk all over me in the past and I would bend over backwards to make them happy. And it just creates a lot of anxiety um, and sleepless nights and questioning, am I good enough? Are people going to like what I do? And it honestly, that has nothing to do with the client. It all, for me, trickles down to beliefs and mindsets and just, you know, uh, self, uh, self-worth self and value. 
Yeah, it's like you're just like speaking to my core right now. Mm-hmm. It's, like it's so funny that even your explanation of the client that you needed to end things with, I'm like, oh crap, that's mm-hmm. my client. Um, and to be honest, a few. Um, I love my clients. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do. I you know Kimberly Selden. You've talked about her. She'll be the mm-hmm. first to say all the time. Um, you know, it, you have to look at yourself and how you've maybe handled a relationship with a client. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that some of the stuff that's happening to me is my inexperience. That's kind of just I haven't taken the right control of the project, mm-hmm. and you know. But the flip side of that is like, if you had perfect clients, perfect projects, I mean, either you're genius, you know, and you've got to figure it out. But in, I'd say 90% of the case, you know, that's part of the journey. And that's part of the learning process. You know, if you don't make mistakes, how do you know not to do it next time? Or how do you not learn how you can do it better? So I, this is kind of the silver lining in this situation. I didn't follow through with this project. I don't have pictures to show on my portfolio, which like they would have been great. They look, it looks pretty good. Um, but what I do have is now I've got that under my belt where awkward situation in a new community where I don't have a huge track record and I'm building up my clientele here. So that was risky. Um, but I have it under my belt where, you know, I just, you evaluate what you want out of life and what do you want to be right? Or do you want to be happy? You know? Um, and I handled the situation with grace and dignity. Um, it didn't blow up. I didn't point out all the bad things that I thought they were doing. I also learned how I probably could have stepped in a little bit earlier. Like mm-hmm. these are lessons, right? If you're open to being self-aware and learning from every bad experience, because I mean, there's, there's a lesson to be learned in everything, how I can do things differently next time. When I sense that the client's kind of wishy-washy or she's a shopper or she wants to play, I, this sounds terrible, play Debbie Decorator, you know, because there are clients who once they sort of see how fun things are and the beautiful stuff starts showing up, they want to get involved. And I just find now I've learned a little bit more of a lesson to how to rein that in and, um, and just sort of um, tighten up again in our letter of agreement, you know, sort of what our expectations are around communication, what happens when people don't follow up and communicate properly, like the client side of things, how that can delay. It's just preparation, how you can prepare your client for the best result in the end, you know, during your intake and all of that. So for me, there were multiple lessons out of this one. And um, you need those. If you're not failing or if you're not making mistakes, you're not growing. And that sounds corny and cliche, but I've learned that to be true. Absolutely true. Um, yeah. So, I, and just don't be so hard on yourself. You know, we were so hard on ourselves because we're perfectionists and we like to people please and um, take it as an opportunity to just find the lesson in, in every situation, good and bad. There's always lessons and use that to your advantage to make your game even stronger. Okay. So I love it all. I have to ask, this is a bit of a side tangent now. Yeah. So what would your tips be for reeling in Debbie decorator because (laughs) how how do you really it's hard so what are some of the strategies that you've come up with that you and I know that I'm sure there's it's not an exact science and it's not Mm -hmm. thing, but Mm -hmm. um it's hard and to be honest I'm still figuring it out because there there have been some clients in the past where I didn't rein them in at all and we just kind of wrote it out and the project ended well um, super stressful, you know, there, I can't say I have a formula that works every single time. It's just, oh man, it's all about communication, you know? And, um, I think 
in your instance with your clients and the sofa and the chairs and you know da, 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 it was a similar scenario where it's just literally calling like whoa whoa let's just have a, a come to Jesus moment in a good way yeah. and about um like regrouping and refocusing and just going over you know, with the clients, like, what are the goals? Again, what are, what are our objectives? What are we after? What do we need to do to accomplish that? And trying to rein people in and just sort of keep that line of communication open. Um, and sometimes you just have to say things, you know, like I had a, I had a, a developer's wife one time, it was for a restaurant and we were there, we we're kind of at the end stages. We had the materials and samples there so we could finally pick out paint colors and then, you know, there's two owners, sorry, two developers slash owner and their wives and the one, you know, big, the big name in town and just used to sort of probably getting everything she wanted the way she wanted it. She ripped the fan deck out of my hand and started walking around the restaurant. I see this here and I see this here. And I was probably 26, yeah. you know, and you're just like fuming because that's just so rude. But you can't, what are you going to say? Like, what do you say? So um, I gave her some space to kind of play around and hold the fan deck up and do whatever. And then um, I just asked her for my fan deck back. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you know, I'm trying to make a joke out of it. Like now this is, now you see how much fun I have, right? Like, isn't this exciting? And like, let's get back to, um, let's go back over here and let's, you know, get back on task. And like, I, can I have my fan deck back? Or fan deck back? Look, you can always, I think for me, I was just my personality. I, I add humor to a lot of things that yeah. sort of diffuse the situation, but I'm like, who the heck yeah. does Linda think she is? You know, well, and I, <laughs> that happens a lot. It does. It does. And I, and I'm, one of my kind of goals is to, to figure out how to determine whether somebody mm -hmm. very early, like, stages of talking with somebody figure yeah. out whether somebody is that type of person who um really doesn't like any of the options ever and then is going to go find you something and then email it to you there's nothing that slaps me in the face harder than yeah. an email than shopping that says what about that? i know i know that i have i still have clients like that too um i probably will always have because okay. that's just the nature of people and i find as like, things are more accessible yeah. Yeah. And as things are more accessible online, you've got sh more like, like clients are becoming more savvy and that's mm -hmm. awesome because now, you know, they can be a part of some of this dialogue and this conversation. Whereas in the past they didn't have access to information. We had to work harder to convince them and show them and deliver the value and things. And now it's like, it's so much more accessible, but in that comes, you know, people that are willing to spend 24 hours a day on house and then go shopping on Wayfair and, you know, price shop for different things. Because at the end of the day, you know, everyone wants the best value for the dollar. I can't blame them for that. Yeah. Um, no, definitely not. So, I mean, I have clients like that too. And there's just, there's some projects where if you can establish, it, it, usually humor is helpful, you know, yeah, feel free, look at stuff, but I, I, you know, there's a limit and there's by this date, by this date, you know, we have to have things chosen. So after that, you know, stay, save it in a file, but don't send me any more photos. You yeah. have to be able to willing, you know, be willing to set some boundaries and they're not evil. They're not bitchy. They're not anything. It's just, you know, process and systems and the design process is complicated enough already. So you have to be willing to tell your client in good humor that, you know, yeah, it's so exciting, but we're at this stage now where we're past that. You've committed, like we need to move on and yeah. you just have to take the reins and, and, um, just take control that way too. 
There's this book. I think it's called The Four Agreements. I can't remember the name of the author. I don't know okay. if you read it, but um, it talks about sort of the four tenets and agreements you make with life. And if I was, oh, I'll probably forget one. <laughs> but um, one of them is don't assume anything. Um, never, never make assumptions. And it goes into why you should never make assumptions. So the four agreements, I would say, if you're looking for a bit of inspiration in that area, that's a great book. All right. Well, that was a question I was going to ask you later. There so. you go. <laughs> Nailing it. Okay. Um, <laughs> on to a segment that I'm going to do. So I feel like um, that was all amazing with regards to breaking up with clients. So a little segment I'm going to call things that make me go, hmm. There's a lot of them. My list is very lengthy. So I'm going to try to pare it down to some key ones. But there's just things that um, I, it's, it's one of these things like pricing, for example, it's like that nut that I'm continually trying to crack or mm-hmm. Um, you know, trade resources or just whatever. I'm just going to ask you a series of questions that I'm probably going to ask a lot of my guests because I would love to hear different perspectives on these things. Cool. So okay. First one is going to be uh, basically, I would love to know what your pricing model is and, and how you uh, charge. Wow. Okay. Um, well, it's, it's ever evolving. Let's put it that way. Um, especially moving to Kelowna where it's, we live in it's sort of a luxury travel destination. Um, the cost of housing here is ridiculous. Like I think we're on par with Vancouver now. It's crazy. Um, so, you know, the level of quality expectations, the clientele is totally different. Um, I, the pricing model here is definitely different than it is in the middle of Manitoba because your target market's different. Your clientele is different. Cost of living is different. Um, so I'm constantly looking at ways to evolve our business as well. Um, currently I'll tell you, (laughs) um, I charge, it's, I'm putting, I'm, I'm raising my prices, uh, January 1st, but right now I charge $150 an hour, um, across the board. That's my design fee. I don't charge by the hour, hardly ever. Um, I find clients, as soon as they hear hour, you're, they're watching that clock and what you know, it's going to take in terms of time to deliver something. Um, clients have no idea. They, they, they think, oh, you know, in their minds, the reasonable time frame is so-and-so and it's like so far off map. So I never, I never really, if someone asks what my hourly rate, no problem. I have no problem telling them that. Um, but I don't charge by the hour. So pricing model, we do, I'd say full service. If we're doing a brand new residential build, um, I break it out into stages. I have uh, sort of stage one, which is like intake. Um, client meetings, um, sort of establishing a scope of work and then what the deliverables are, what timelines are, and all the way to starting to select materials and finishes. That, that, that I will do um, on a square foot basis. And here in this industry, it's between three. For me, I've established it between three and four dollars a square foot. Mm-hmm. Um, second phase would be if they want us to help source furnishings, decor, you know, all the pretty stuff. Um, not the hard finishes that the builder needs to build this house. It's after the fact, how do we finish it and furnish it? I will do that for a flat fee based upon, um, you know, the, the rooms, the areas, because at this point I know where their tastes lie with all their materials and finishes, all the hard things, the cabinetry, the millwork, what that budget's coming at. I can safely assume in terms of furnishings, like where we're going to be looking and what we're going to be sourcing for them. So I'll do that for a flat fee. And, um, it's, again, it's just dependent upon like the size of the house, how many rooms, all that. And then when it comes to, um, the end portion of our services, like for styling, setup, delivery, we'll do that by the hour. Um, just because you just can't know. 
you don't know. Like you can, you could guess, you could do a flat fee, but I've got hosed where I thought, oh, it's going to take this much. And then, you know, it's gone after 10 hours. I'm like, okay, <laughs> lesson learned. Looking at the um, second phase that you were talking about, which was the furnishings. Um, yeah. Is that, would you come up with a flat fee that's, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to select furniture for you. And then also the purchasing of said furniture. Mm-mm. So, so, so here's my biggest lesson that I only in, I'd say the last year and a half, two years that I honestly did it click because, you know, people have invested so much money. They're so over budget at this point, you know, with the builder conflict, it's not necessarily our fault. Um, it just is what it is. And then when it comes to those things, you know, people want to save money every which way that they can. So, you know, I'm often, you know, I want this house to look amazing so I can photograph it and throw it on my website. So how do I need, what do I need to do? Or how do I need to eat a few things to make that happen? So everyone's happy and they pick out nice stuff because we've all been there. They get to the end. Um, they're completely broke and rooms go unfurnished or they bring old crap from, you know, some, the cabin just so they have furniture. And then you don't ever really get amazing photographs. That's like, we've all had situations like that. Right. So for me, it's, I will, it, the flat fee covers sourcing and picking out and coming up with a, like a plan of what do you need? Where is it going to, and basically kind of where does it go? And then um, for us to order it all in, like we also, I should also say, we split our trade discounts. We've set that up in our business model where we've got, I think over 35 vendors and suppliers that we've got trade accounts with. Some of them are at a wholesale level. Mm-hmm. And then some of them are just designer, you know, like at a retail level, they're not very much like 15, 20%. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we've established where, you know, if we're going to be purchasing, if clients want to help recoup, this is also, you know, a nice little incentive. If you're trying to sell a job to someone, um, tell them, bring that up with them that we're suppliers and vendors, you know, we've got, sorry, we're dealers with a bunch of different suppliers and vendors where we're able to bring in amazing furniture and decor and accessories, lighting, wall coverings, blah, blah, blah. Um, and we get a trade discount and we will share that if that's how you choose to split your discounts, we'll share that with you. Um, so you can recoup all your design fees and sometimes all of your design fees. So that's kind of a, a side note. It's kind of a bonus, but, yeah. um, yeah. So the flat fee for, for procuring furniture and decor is just to cover our time to do that. It's not to order it. It's not to manage that. That is covered in our trade discount and what, the profit we make in splitting our discount. Okay, so and this is where I'm going to like start asking the question. <laughs> well, okay, let's just say, what what would be the minimum budget that you would work with for furniture? Do you have a minimum budget for for a project? Mm, no, I, I mean down the road. As I, my goal here is to expand and have more, you know, designers on our team and take on more luxury builds here, we probably would. But I'm at the stage now where I'm growing and I'm um, yeah. still establishing my clientele here. So no, I, I don't have, I mean, if someone says I want to do a whole house for $5,000, then it's not about the money at that point. It's, it's communicating how much things cost. It's education. You know, it's putting some value into it, educating your client because sometimes people just have no idea. They throw a number out thinking, you know, that should cover this, this, this. And they don't realize like half of that, there's your sofa right there. So Usually I find if someone gives you a a hard number, it's really low. Once you have a little bit of a discussion with them and do a bit of education, either A, they will tell you um, they have a little bit more money, but honestly they don't. And then it's about reestablishing what's possible for that money. And you have to sort of reevaluate what the scope would be. Or B, all of a sudden money magically appears. You know, you sort of tell them a bit more about what things start to cost and how it starts adding up. I always believe people will find a way to afford what they love. 
Like if someone can put value on something to them, like look at people walking around with, you know, Louis Vuitton bags and Prada and driving Mercedes Benz, um, but they don't want to spend $200 to have you come to their house for an hour. Yeah. It's all about value, you know? So if you are able to have a discussion with them, um, just to sort of outline just truthfully what things start to cost and how it starts to add up, um, people will either, you know, bend their budget a little bit to accommodate that or reduce the scope of work or they'll open their wallets and you'll get a better budget. Do you ever have the issue where you live in revision hell where clients just keep wanting to see more examples of something? Yes, of course. Of course. And again, like, okay, so I've been in business for 15 years. That does not mean I figured it out, you know, 10 years ago and it's been smooth sailing. Um, yeah, that happens lots. And I kind of, you're so busy working in your business that you kind of lose track. Even if you're tracking hours, you know, you see that number start to rise and add up and you're like, Oh, but you're dealing with so many things. You don't really sit down unless you're very good and disciplined at the end of the day, you sit down and really do a job cost and figure out how much money did you lose because you didn't tighten that up. Yeah. So what we've done now, um, part of our policy is with this fee structure where we've got like the different, different phases in a project, we've got the, um, per square foot, the flat fee, and then the hourly rate. And I always include with our per square foot, you know, when we're picking out materials and finishes, it includes up to two. This is just our process. You guys can do what you want, but we include two revisions of materials and finishes. And that's it. After that, we're glad to do a third revision, a fourth revision, whatever it takes, but we're charging you by the hour for it. And how do you approach that? So I'm your client and basically I have exceeded my two revisions. What do you do? So before you get to your second revision, you plant that seed that, all right, no problem. Like you're, there's things that we need to address and there's a couple of things we want to, ref- I call I like how you call them. You call them refinements, not revisions, yes. right? Yeah. Refinement. It just sounds better. Because it um, also gives the impression that revision sounds like overhaul. Yeah. It sounds a little bit more extreme, like refi- tweaking, yeah. like you're tweaking. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're generally like most, if you've done your job and you've listened and you've established your scope of work based on what your client is telling you, there's usually like a couple of things they want to change, but they're not going to reinvent the wheel because if you've hit that nail on the head, they're generally happy with most things. There just might be a couple of things they want to tweak. So when we say we'll do a full revision, we, we actually will, but not very often is it ever needed. So it's there, but it's people don't very seldom do they ever come back and say, start from scratch. Don't like the direction we're going in. We changed our mind. Um, so, but the, the, the key is it's about preparation, constantly preparing your clients, constantly communicating to them before things happen or before you get to that stage, preparing them so that when they get to that stage, it's not out of the blue or you have to go back and say, yeah, but in our contract or in our letter of, a letter of agreement, because usually once they've signed that and put it away, they don't look at that again. And it's sort of new information, you know? Um, so the, the key is management and just preparing your client. If you go through one revision, say, you know, sure. Like let's, let's set a time let's set a meeting in two or three weeks from now where we'll present. This will be your first revision. If at that point there's, there's anything else we need to take a look at or refine that's then part of the second revision. And then if there's something we need to tweak or, or take a look at at that point, then it's considered the third and will be, it'll be on the hourly as an hourly rate and just treat it matter of factly, not a big deal is what it is. Um, I find too, it's an incentive for clients to make up their minds. If they know that what they've paid already, this is included in this price. How often do people want to, Oh, I'll just spend more money on top of that. Usually not. It's an incentive for them to 
make decisions and be mindful of the time that they're taking to do that. So there's kind of a lot of factors in play there. Yeah, no, it's so, it is very encouraging to hear you who's been doing this for 15 years say, um, yeah, no, I totally get clients who send me emails and say, what about this? Or, um, you know, yeah, all these things that make me feel like it legitimately makes me feel like a failure. And I'm like, I'm not good at what I do if oh, clients no. need to be doing that. But so this is the kind of stuff that I'm hoping to share with other newbies so that you yeah. don't feel like a complete and utter failure. No, <laughs> you're not. You try your best and that's all you can do. And if you, you know in your heart you tried your best, literally that's all you can do. And you just sometimes you, you finish off and move on or you let them go and you move on. And the next is just around the corner. Well, I feel like that is a perfect way to end my very first interview. <laughs> so I'm going to give you the opportunity. Um, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you, where they should follow you, all that good stuff. We're Urban Theory, interiordesign.com. Um, we are also on Facebook. We are on Instagram under the exact same business name. Um, yeah, we post, I try and post, you know, behind the scenes, you know, we're so good at posting the finished results and seeing the beautiful photo. Clients love to see and potential clients love to see what happens behind the scenes and that there's real life going on in between those projects. So we try and post a lot of like real life, just authentic, how it happens as it happens. Um, you know, just, yeah, that's us. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being my very first interview. I You're welcome. You've been amazing. And we are definitely doing this again. You know what? Honestly, Michelle, I get so much out of it. Then what I, you know, what you put out, mm-hmm. what you get back, it's totally true. There you have it. That there was the very first podcast interview I ever did. And aside from my absolutely horrific audio, ugh, I'm so bummed at how terrible my audio was. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out the audio situation. It's, you know what, technology. It's a learning curve. It's not as easy as you hope, but I suspect that once I do this more and more, I'm going to start to iron out some of these kinks and get better at things like the audio and the editing and the this and the that, all that good stuff. But um, I think that the biggest takeaway for me on this one was that the things that I feel make me a failure are probably the things that you might also feel the same way about. So for example, things like revision hell. Um, apparently happens to even, you know, the, the veteran designers who have been doing this for 15 years, things like the old email from a client where they send you a link of something that they found. What about this? They say, and your heart breaks and it makes you feel like you're not doing your job well enough. Well, it turns out that does not just happen to newbies. It happens to people who have been doing this for 15 years. And it's really important that we, realize that it's not us sometimes it really just is in the client's personality to do that sort of thing and we cannot take these things personally so I really quite enjoyed that if you listen to episode one and I hope that you did if you haven't I would highly recommend going back because I talk about why I'm even doing this podcast but part of it has to do with my trifecta goal What is my trifecta goal? Well, I'm going to tell you right now. You don't even have to go back to episode one. One of the first goals that I hope to eventually reach is that I can talk to three of my design heroes. We're talking Shay McGee, Amber Lewis, and Jacqueline Clark. And I think one of the ways that you guys can help make this happen 
help alongside of me is by subscribing to the podcast. Also, another great way, and probably the best way, is to leave me a review, because if they see awesome reviews, then they might be inclined to actually talk to me. So here's the deal, guys. For the next little while, I'm actually going to shout out anybody who leaves a review and put it on the podcast at the end in the outro, and I'm actually going to tell you about the first review I ever got. And the first review is from Melanie Cross, who happens to be one of the homies in my Facebook group, which I'm going to tell you about in a second. But here is what she said. Love her three exclamation points. I do love me an exclamation point. Michelle is one of my design crushes. She is a true inspiration with a heart. I cannot tell you how much that warms my heart. Thank you so much to Melanie Cross for leaving that amazing review. I hope that it will inspire others to do the same. And like I said, in the next foreseeable little while, I'm going to basically shout out the reviews that I get so that you can know that I'm reading them and that I super hardcore appreciate it. If you want to follow along my journey a little more, then you can go to businesshomies.com and request access to my free Facebook group where I go live and share all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's, it's all there, peeps. And if you want to know, if you want some links from the show notes and things that we talked about today, then go to businesshomies.com slash 004, which is basically just means episode four because this was episode four. I cannot even believe it. And stick around past the outro music for a quick little blooper reel. And spoiler, this one's kind of embarrassing on my part. Anywho, that is all I got for you this week. I will see you next week. Bye, homies. I'm going to go celebrate with a glass of wine and high five myself, look in the mirror and tell myself that I was good enough, strong enough, and gosh darn it, I'm all right. I wish I hadn't said that just now. That's, you know, sometimes you say things you can't take back, even though I can totally edit that out, but I'm probably not going to. So we'll see. Anyways, that's all I got for you guys. Talk to you later. Bye, homies.